Hello and welcome to More Games and Time. I'm Lee. I'm Roger. And we've got more games in time. <laughs> Not quite as bad as last month. We do have more of a show for you, but uh, yeah. So we, we've been we've been playing some things. So I've been going back to Fuse. 2015 game by Ken Clanko. This is a game I think I've played once. Is this? Am I right in thinking this has got sort of dice stacking in things, or am I confusing it with another one? Yes. Yes. So it's a real-time cooperative or yeah. solo dice placement game. Uh, basically, you have puzzle cards, mm-hmm. uh, which might say, you know, the the first die has to be the same colour as the second, and the second die has to be the same number as the third, yeah. something like that. Uh, then as, as you take turns, you draw one die per player. You each take one die to put on your active puzzles. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can't, if nobody can take a particular die, then there's a penalty. Yeah. One, one nice thing about it is it's a reliable 10 minute game because it runs on a 10 minute timer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I, I end up playing it quite a lot when, you know, we, we've just finished a longer game. We're thinking about going off somewhere else that's happening in a bit, but. If we've got a game that is guaranteed not to take a long time, then people will happily play that again. Yeah. Uh, there, there is an app. Uh, they've, they've got a, a collect, I think it's Rebellion. Anyway, whichever it is, they've got, they've got an app that has several, several of their games supported by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can give you your know, minute counts and uh, snarky comments and things. But right. I just use a phone timer and, and completely ignore it till it goes off and takes everybody by surprise. <laughs> Does that add or, or lessen the tension? Um, a bit of both, I think. I'm yeah. sure, surely you'll be getting towards the end by now. Let, let's, let's hurry up. Mm-hmm. I suppose then, uh, if you were talking about a simulation of real world things, you don't have people counting down as you reach the end of your, your bomb you're trying to defuse. <laughs> <laughs> well, only in the films. Um, <laughs> yeah, in, in theory, it's about defusing bombs. In practice, it's about arranging the dice. The theme is pretty thin, but yeah, fair enough. Um, one of the, one of the things I like about it is that, as as you mentioned, there is dice stacking. You, you can sometimes have to build a tower, a fort, mm-hmm. or a pyramid uh, with particular die values or die colours in it. Yeah. And if it weren't for the timer, that would be easy. <laughs> as it is, it becomes a dexterity game because you're trying to do it in a rush. Yeah, remind me how how the sort of the core mechanisms work. You you have a bunch of dice yourself and roll them, or is it part of a pool? Uh, your turn starts, you yeah. pull out, uh, it, assuming the multiplayer game, mm-hmm. uh, you, you pull out in a four player game four dice and yeah. roll all of them. And then between you decide who's going to take which die. Okay. You cannot take more than one. And you, you then place that somewhere on one of the two active puzzles that are in front of you. Mm-hmm. And then, then you pass the die bag and then the next player does the same thing. You got, uh, 25 dice, five colours, five of each. So nothing, nothing's particularly rare. Um, being able to match a colour is slightly easier than being able to match a number, but not very much. Right. And that that's really it. I mean, the the, the complexity of it comes in the uh, cards themselves. Mm-hmm. As you gradually get to, all right, they, these three dice need add, to add up to between 11 and 15. And yeah. am I going to put my first die in there because it's a five and that's pretty good, but that's going to restrict me on other things I could do. And so on. Um, none of it's super complex, yeah. but... So something else, because you're against the pressure of the time, yeah. 
Yeah. And I, I've heard an argument that any, any game becomes better as, as a time pressure game because nobody has time to overthink it. I don't entirely agree, but... I, so. I have heard that time. But I mean, you know, the, the converse is, um, you know, my, my partner refuses to play any real-time games because um, they're too mm-hmm. stressful. Um, sure. I don't particularly enjoy them either. I must admit, that the, the one time I played this was at UK Games Expo a few years ago with Austin, who you've met, um, mm-hmm. and one other person. I think it may have been the first or second game that I'd ever played with Austin at that point. He was very apologetic afterwards when he realised that I don't like dice, real-time games, or maths. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of the stress, I, this is obviously going to be a personal reaction. To me, it's just the right amount of stress. Yeah. I come out of the end of that thinking, yeah, that was fun. Whether, whether I've won or lost, compare with something like Magic Maze, mm-hmm. uh, which I would basically never play twice in a row. Magic Maze, I think, is very... So, Fuse, I, I do get the sense you're, you're, you're working together, and as you say, there's that quick discussion of, oh, I need a green die, we'll take that. Whereas mm-hmm. Magic Maze, um, there's always some idiot that just doesn't get it, that's moving the wrong thing at the wrong time, or saying the wrong thing where they're not allowed to talk, and... Magic Maze is more of a chaos type game, if that makes mm. sense. I think um, it's more about the social experience, whereas this is, as you say, more puzzly. Yeah, though, though there is a social aspect to it. You do, you do have to cooperate. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, you still have to say it's, it's that you. Know, I need that die. I'll take that die. I know you need that. That's more. So you're, you're focused on the puzzle. Yeah, I mean, quite often I will say something like, "Okay, I could take the red or the blue." Does anybody else have a strong feeling about it? Or yeah, you know, words to that effect. Yeah, no, I, mean, uh, I think I mean it's, in, it's interesting you brought up Magic Maze. I mean, obviously they're both real time games, but they don't really have much else in common. I don't think, other than being real time and co op. Yeah, but but in, ter- in terms of stress, that's the thing. I mean, I, I mm. have one friend who, who's played Magic Maze once and swore never to play it again. Yeah, uh, I mean, I really do think that's stress you get I really do think that's dependent on the people you. Sorry, the people you play it with. The the first time I actually met Magic Maze, I was I was demoing about three booths away from them at Essen, mm-hmm. and was walking past them at the end of the day, and the guy was saying, "Yeah, we need to get more tables. Three of them got broken today." Well, this, people it, slamming the pawn down. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And somebody's it normally resolves into one person at the table saying, "You go there and do that," and that person saying, "I can't. I'm mm-hmm. not allowed." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Though I, I'm one of the few people I know who actually likes Magic Maze, so. <laughs> so it, it, but, a, but even then, I'm only going to play it once. I mean, yeah, it's funny. It, it is a divisive game. I think people either love it or don't really like it at all. There's very few in between. But we were talking um, about views. Yeah, well, look, looking at the psychology of it, um, most of the time I find I'm, I'm too busy looking at my own challenges and thinking what I might want to put on them mm. to look really hard at what anybody else is doing. So... Even yeah, at the end, at the end of the game, you lose if you haven't um, got all the cards out into play. You yeah. don't need to solve them all. But if I'm looking over the table site at the end of the game, everybody's got four cards in front of them because mm-hmm. that's the way the game was. Yeah. Um, and I can't tell from that casual inspection that Bob over there is, is still on his first first four cards, and everybody yeah. else has done well. It's it's not not apparent. I haven't been paying attention during the games. I've been doing my own things, so there, there's never a feeling of oh well, X let us down. Given that, do you think that this translates particularly well to a solo experience, which I don't think most real time games do? Uh well, I certainly like it solo. Uh, I've I've played it probably more solo than mm. multiplayer. In fact. Uh, 
in that in the solo mode you have four challenge cards in front of you, yeah. so you have even more to keep track of. Uh, and e- on, e- on each cycle you draw three dice and roll them. Mm-hmm. So o- otherwise it's basically the same game. So you you, d- you don't have the negotiation, but you also have have a harder time finding places to put all the dice. Yeah. And again, I've I, I think I've uh, even played it a couple of times at conventions. You know. Um, I've just played a larger game. The group has drifted off. I feel like a bit of a change of pace before I go and look for another game. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Sort of a palate cleanser. Yeah. <laughs> just just re- reset a bit. Uh, one, one thing to note, of course, uh, not even slightly colorblind friendly because the dice are... Mm. You, you have to distinguish the dice by color. Mm-hmm. I got to say, I can't really see a way around that unless you had uh, custom symbols on the dice, and I don't think it's been a big enough seller to get a new edition like that. No, and I would guess that, um, yeah, that, that's sort of compounded by the real-time nature of the game, that it's not something you can sit there and say, oh, that's the red one, because that's just, mm. <laughs> you're eating up the time. I have been in oca- occasional pubs where the lighting is so fashionable that uh, you, you can't tell one colour <laughs> from another anyway, but uh, this is not a game I would take to such a pub. I'm sure you're in the trendiest of bars all the time, Roger. Uh, the the Reading group was very fond of a particular place by the station that had had those uh, you know those hipster light bulbs with, where you can see the individual filaments. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Which which are probably actually LED mini LED tubes oh, now, probably. but they're they're, tra- they're meant to look like individual filaments. <laughs> and yeah, you, you get a, a a small number of lumens, and yeah, <laughs> but that's not about fuse. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I believe there have been some promos. I don't think there have been any expansions. I certainly don't have any. Um, and it's, it's also quite a, quite a nice, uh, um, sort of munchkin size box game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sort of A5 a yeah. and about an inch thick. Yeah. So it, it's quite, quite easy to slow. Um, you, you could probably just throw the cards in the dice bag. Okay. And, yeah. and carry yeah. it that way to, to minimize space, but. Yeah, that works, works pretty well for me, and uh, it's not not a game I play every month, uh, as evidence. Mm. I haven't haven't talked about it here before, but it's uh, definitely a game I keep coming back to. Yeah, excellent. Well, I've been playing one of my most played, favouritest games of all time, which is mm-hmm. Pax by Bernd Eisenstein. Not to be confused with any of the Pax series, Pax Porfiriana, Pax. I forget the Afghanistan one. Uh, uh, so that's 2011. That's uh, the one. Clemens Franz art. Yeah. Yeah. Recently, um, recently re-released with a, a new piece of artwork, which doesn't <laughs> still isn't great. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I like Burnt's designs, particularly solo. Um, I think he's a designer that doesn't get a lot of a lot of talk. Um. Uh, we talked about Peloponnese before. We did. Peloponnese card probably. games we talked about once before. And this is the same size box, small card game box. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when PAX was first released, it was talked about as a Biblios killer. I think it came out the following year. Um, right. Since then, people still talk about Biblios. They don't talk about PAX. <laughs> yeah. I've never played Biblios. Um, but this shares that same mechanism in there of you turn over a card and you have to decide straight away what you're going to do with that card before you see any others that turn. Mm-hmm. So in each turn, you're going to turn over three cards, one at a time, and you're going to choose one card to put into your hand, 
one to um, put to the the offer that you're going to have to buy cards from, and one that you put to the bottom of the deck. Right, but if but if you want that first one for your hand, you have to make that decision before you see what the other two are. Exactly. So you make that decision yeah. each time you turn a card over. Um, and as you say, if you've chosen one to put into your hand, then you don't have that as an option for the next card. Mm-hmm. Um, the basic idea of the game, it's loosely themed around the um, the sacking of Rome. So you're trying to yeah. maintain peace in the Roman Empire. Um, you're paying against the the hordes, as it were, um, and at the end of the game you're going to compare the tableau you've built up with the tableau that they've built up. Mm-hmm. So um, once you've uh, yeah, well, once you've been through that buying and discarding of cards, that choice of it, you then have to use some use some coin cards you have, which are separate to the other cards, to buy cards from mm-hmm. the from the offer. Um, you then play cards to your tableau from your hand. The first one is free. Um, the second one you pay one coin for. The third one you pay two coins for. It escalates in that manner. Mm-hmm. You then earn coins. Depending on... So basically what you're doing at this point is building up sets. So okay. if I lay one card, and it's on its own, the first, say, green card, then I earn one, one coin. Mm-hmm. If I lay one card and it's the fourth green card that I lay, you're building them up a bit like a, a patient's column. You're laying them down in that sort of in a column per colour. If it's the fourth right. one in that column, then I'm going to earn four cup coins that turn. And presumably, ideally, you want to put down four, three, two, one, or there's no numbers on them. We'll get to okay. that in a moment. But you are trying to build up sets, and the larger the set is, the greater the income you have, so you can do more on subsequent turns. So it's got that sort of building up part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, each of these different colours represents a different power. So the green cards I just spoke about are land. Um, they all have a, a symbol in the corner, either one or two symbols. In the land case, it's trees. They either have one or two trees. Okay. Um, the cost of those cards, if you're buying them from the offer, roughly coincides with how many symbols they've got on them. Yeah. So... Um, it'll vary, so I think uh, a, a one tree card will be one to two coins, and a two one will be two to three coins. I think maybe up to four, or four coins I think is the maximum that any of them will cost. So there's a bit of variation there in sort of cost to benefit ratio, but there's a, yeah, they are structured in that order. Sure. Um, the trees, the land cards dictate how many armies and ships navy you're allowed to put out. So if you've got three trees, you're allowed three military units combined between legionaries, armies, and um, navy frigates. So rather than just have your six or whatever it is suits, you, they they are interacting as well. Yeah, absolutely. And at the same time, those um those sh- ships and legionaries at the end of the game, um, for every three you've got of a matching type, three legionaries means you get a bonus one as well. Mm-hmm. So they sort of build up in that way. Um, so that's three different types of cards I just mentioned about. Um, I'm gonna have to, uh, forgive me if I don't mention, I can't remember exactly what they're all called, but red ones are, sure. um, they're intrigue. They, I think they allow a bit of player interaction. I've never played the game with other people. 
so in solo they're basically <laughs> the, they're, they're the suit that i choose to junk and give to the opponent give to the ai the ai is I, I see always bgg says one to four players best with fours so that might be a thing worth trying. Might be for a me. thing worth trying for you, absolutely. <laughs> um, so those, in, they say, there's always an AI present. You're always competing against someone. I, I said it's the barbarian horse, but I think it might even be called Rome for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so the intrigue ones are, say, they're the ones that I choose to junk. Um, there's yellow ones which give you a bonus coin as soon as you lay them. Um, the grey mm-hmm. ones allow you to, if you get a matching set of three, or three symbols, I should say then you can reveal two cards instead of one and decide what to do at that point. If you get So if you get the three of your symbols there, or six of your symbols, two sets of three, then you can reveal mm-hmm. all three cards before deciding which one you want to place where. So that can become quite powerful. Yeah. Um, what's the... There's one other suit as well, which I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, green, red, blue, orange, grey, yellow... Orange is uh, the one I think I... No, Orange is... Uh, Orange is the Legionary. Is the legionary. Uh, I see a brown one as well, but I can't uh, zoom in far enough That's to... the one I haven't talked about, which does something else. But basically, you're building <laughs> up these sort of, you know, patience... Uh, in, in Floribus, if that helps. <laughs> oh, that's it. No. Oh, I can't remember. You're building anyway. up these sets of sort of patience-like columns. And, and for me, you know, I, I played a lot of patience when I was growing up and I still play Patience now which I think is unusual for for serious board gamers um, mm-hmm. I find it kind of therapeutic and this fills that same niche where I'm laying down sets of cards in columns but at the yeah. same time it's you know it's a tableau builder you're building up the these engines of slowly uh, being able to acquire more money being able to lay, choose more cards on a, t- on a turn to what you're doing with them um, mm-hmm. like all Bernd Eisenstein um games with solo rules he's got five levels of difficulty so it scales quite well to your experience level which i find really good mm-hmm. um and it's that that sort of um yeah that that decision of at the start of the game at least where you know you're only going to be turning over one card and you have to make a decision straight away of do you push your luck and think yeah this i might be able to use this card i might not is something better going to come out isn't it sure um, so it's an interesting game. There is an expansion as well, which adds three further suits. Um, right. And they sort of build on the other one. They, they let you lay multiple cards for free. Um, they let you draft extra cards instead of just three on each round. So that they sort of build on the, on the, the existing engine of the game. They don't change the game drastically, but they do add more options. Presumably um, they would dilute things a bit because... Yeah, if, if you're hoping for a particular thing to come up, the chances that it will so come up are less. Are less but. It's interesting. So in the solo game, um, and I think the multiplayer game as well, maybe in the multiplayer game, I think maybe you go through the entire deck of cards. Mm. In the solo game, you remove, I think it's 30 cards from the deck after shuffling them before you start. And once you add right. in the expansion, it's still that same number of 30 cards that you remove. So something might effectively come close to vanishing completely. It's possible that... You know, that you, you sort of lose all of the, I don't know, the, the navy cards that you just don't see them in that game. Yeah. Um, and I have spoken to somebody online that sort of likes to, to see the get deck of removing X number of each suit. In practice, I've played the game, I think about 30 times and I can only think of one occasion where I really feel like the random cards missing prevented me from winning the game. Um, well, so presumably. What, 
you, there, there are multiple strategies. You don't, you don't have to say, okay, I'm always going to go for the ships plus legions or whatever. No, that's right. And I mean, so the, the way it works is, um, let's say this AI is present um, at all player counts and you've got to beat them in a certain, in a certain number of suits. So if I'm playing mm-hmm. like the difficulty, I don't know, if, I, if I'm playing a max difficulty, I think I'd have to beat them in all suits but one. Right. And that just means in terms of having more cards of that type out on the table. Yeah. You then score based on the cards you've got um, down on the table in front of you. And you also add up unspent coins to add to your score as well. Um, which I don't bother doing in the solo game, but in the multiplayer game, that's you know, who, that's who determines how you determine the winner at that point. Mm-hmm. So it's not a co-op game, although there is this AI present that you've all got. You can all lose. But there is a winner yeah. in terms of you're building up your own specific tableau. Um, I guess rather than barbarian hordes, maybe I got that wrong. Maybe it's the the fight for um, political influence within the Roman Empire. Uh, the the BGG page uh, says that it's uh, after the um, after Spartacus Rebellion and, and your slave factions. But yeah, so I mean, you, you can tell clearly, how clearly the theme is not theme of vital. Is to me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's it's a really I mean, it's it's a it's a quick, it's a filler length game, 30 minutes, maybe 40, 45 with the expansion. Um, mm-hmm. Playing it solo, I guess. If you're playing it multiplayer, you can probably add another 15 minutes on that. So 30 minutes to an hour. Um, yeah. It's a yeah, small box and it's it's an interesting game that I think is often overlooked. And at the moment, say it was reprinted last year, the different box cover, so it's widely available again. Although I'm not sure it yes. ever really went properly out of print anyway. It was always sort of available if you looked hard <laughs> enough. Yeah, not not a game I've come across, uh, but uh, lots of games, particularly a game from ten years ago. Yeah, uh, they just get lost. So Abs- absolutely, and I, I don't I don't know if you know the name hurts in some ways as well. As I say, it's got nothing to do with you know the, the PAX series of games, as as it were. From um... and when, when I did a BGG search for PAX, it came up about about item number seven. Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. It's um, not not. The name probably doesn't help it. Mm, even if they didn't get there first. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's Pax by Bernd Eisenstein. I have been going back to Railroad Inc. Right. Which came out originally in, in 2018. Uh, so as long ago as that? Yeah, it was, it was an Essen launch. Right, so it must be one um, of the first of the, the sort of the big modern cycle of Roland Wright's. Yeah, people were still saying this roll and write thing is interesting rather than, oh no, not another roll and yeah. write, though it didn't take long, <laughs> to be fair. Uh, so yeah, it, it is a fully parallel roll and write. Uh, the, each box comes with six player boards, but mm. there would be absolutely nothing to stop you just doing it on paper. Right. Or, you know, I, I, I made an SBG version for, for playing online, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, seven by seven square, square grid board. Uh, seven rounds. Each round, some, somebody rolls four dice, uh, which have some combination of road and rail routes on them. Right. And you, you must use all four of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are expansions, which I'll come back to. Uh, but the, this, this is the core game. And when, when I'm playing multiplayer, it's almost always the core game because I'm almost always playing with people who haven't played it before. Right. Um, and essentially what you're trying to do is connect as many of the 12 uh, entrances, three on each side mm-hmm. of the board, to each other right. as possible. 
there, there's a slightly cunning uh, system for the root length. Basically, each each separate network mm-hmm. that you know of, of entrances that aren't connected to the other networks yeah. is worth four points per station after the first. So. If you if you have two threes, then that's okay. But if you can join them into a six, you'll you'll do better. Um, okay. And presumably, you can't. You, presumably, some of these dies have sort of forked tracks and things. You can't just yeah cross them over yourself and make joints. That's correct. You have um, T junctions. You have curves. You also have stations, which are at, at least in the base game for essentially for. Transferring between road and rail. Right, okay. So you have a road comes in one side, rail goes out the other side, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you also get three, uh, bo- bonus plays. You, you, you have a selection of, of six really useful complex shapes mm-hmm. with, with lots of tracks going in and out. Uh, and you can use up to three of them in the game, maximum one per round. Right. So you, you're not completely dependent on the, on the right die coming up. Uh, there's also an error penalty uh, if if you've got a, a track or a road that ends in the middle of nowhere. That that's a, that's a penalty point. If um, you get a bonus for the longest longest single route, have oh. have you can measure it, and a bonus for going in, in the central nine squares. Mm-hmm. So that that's the cool game, and and it's sat- satisfying, but but um, would not, not be enough to cause me to jo- join in the recent Kickstarter. Uh, but you then go, you then have the bonus dice. Mm-hmm. So each, uh, each box is, is a standalone game with a different set of bonus dice in it. Right. Uh, the original two were blue and red. Uh, blue comes with the river dice and the lake dice. Mm-hmm. So in each case, you, you can add stuff in. You, know, you, you, you don't have to draw them, but if you do, then you can get a bonus for longest rivers or, uh, you, you can say, right, we've got a ferry service running across the, this lake, so all the stations on the lakeshore are connected to each other. Right. That kind of thing. Uh, the red one is, is the more violent version. It's the meteors <laughs> and lava. Yes, yes, yes you're, you are trying, you, on there you're trying to build a, a, a transport network while, while meteors are falling. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, there, the, there was a, a bonus pack for nuclear war that made, that combined it with India Rails. So you're I'm, trying to build a rail network. I'm while, kind of disappointed that this is meteors and not leaves on the line. <laughs> well, it, it has to affect the roads as well. <laughs> um, so, so that, those are the original sets. Uh, and recently they brought out the railroading challenge, which mm-hmm. is basic, uh, Essentially another sophistication of, of the core set. So right. even before you get to the bonus dice, you've got, uh, different route dice. You've got gold cards. Mm-hmm. So the, the first person to manage, um, five rail, t- rail squares mm-hmm. gets a bonus, that kind of thing. Um, special buildings that are, are printed on your map so that if, if you go past them, you get some sort of bonus. Mm. Uh, and then the boat, the, Let's see, it's the yellow and green sets of the, of the Railroad Inc. challenge, and then you have, you know, desert, so you've got keep the ca- cacti dice, you try to keep the cacti alive by putting them next to oases. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, or the can, you can put down canyons along the edges of squares, and then you get a bonus to the biggest canyon, but you have to spend bridge points to get your railway or road across the canyon. <laughs> 
and, and so on. And you've got the green forest and trail dice and so on. And then, right. on top of that, <laughs> um, there, there are the add-ons which are, are not a core set, but there, there are seven little expansions. Mm-hmm. Uh, each of which has four dice in it, and each of which has one or two expansion modes in it. So, right. which might use you know, some or all of those dice. Mm-hmm. And yet, yes, there there is the obligatory Cthulhu expansion. One of these modes, you you are uh, sending out tentacles and trying to make the longest tentacles, right. as well as your road and rail network, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> so, is, is it possible a- to play with all of these expansions? It sounds like utter chaos. Um. I think what they recommend is no more than two, right? And there, there, there is a. Um, I mean, I, I had to ask that because I'm sure other people would ask. <laughs> it, it, it's worth a try, um, but well, basically, because each of them gives you, gives you extra stuff to draw, mm. um, even if you don't necessarily have to, uh, it gets quite complex. They they have a, a thing on the website, and it's it's linked from the back page of the rulebook right. to to say if you're using this expansion with that expansion. Uh, here are small, small extra things to consider. So if, if you have the, the alien farmers expansion combined with the airports expansion I was looking at yesterday, the sheep, sheep don't like aircraft noise, so sheep don't count for points if they're next to an airport. That right. kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think you probably ought to stop at two. Yeah. No, I mean, I have to ask this. I mean, even something like, uh, Maze Howe when I designed that, that's, originally designed it just mixing in one expansion at a time, but we knew full well that people were going to want to throw all of them in together. So I think that's eight expansion modes from the base game and ten, twelve maybe from, from the little expansions. So it's, it's a plus couple of hundred could, options, even if you, if you restrict yourself to two. Yeah, plus you could home rule it by throwing in Rory Story Cubes. infinitely expandable (laughs) so where are we going to put the dragon on this map (laughs) exactly (laughs) it's it's got variant game variant uh, game modes as well there's Mm -hmm. one where if you if you have a set per player Mm. um you can you just take four root dice per player roll them all together yeah the active player makes pairs of those root dice and then everybody else picks okay so so that that gives you the drafting option as well Mm. I've only started exploring this. I've, I've played with the uh, red and blue expansions so far. Right. And I, I just really enjoy it. it. It's a, it's a gentle game. It's competitive, but most of the time, at least when I've played it and people aren't especially looking over each other's shoulders and saying, Oh, you're right. You're doing that. Mm. Uh, it, it is really multiplayer solo, uh, in that sense. Yeah. I, I think some of the expansions may have. Things you can do to your neighbours, but I, I haven't. I done, mean, this done is the sort of common roll and write thing, is it? Where there's one set of dice, and you all have to draw what's on those dice. But you know, yes, you, you, so your variety comes in how you use them, rather than dif- different input variation. Yeah, except except for the draft mode, obviously. Yeah. But uh, that that's um, a, a relatively minor thing, and it, it's gentle it's even with the meteors it it feels kind of gentle i mean i think there is something sort of quietly satisfying for a lot of people in just joining things up isn't there Mm, and of course you never get the right things and if you rely on a particular very common die face coming up it's not going to (laughs) (laughs) as a solo it's basically a beat your own score game um and I think we, we talked about this a bit last time because there is so much randomness mm. in 
what you do. You, you can't really say, well, this time I scored twice as much as last time, but yeah. I got a, I had a different set of dice. Mm. Um, so I'm not, I'm not very fond of it solo, but I do like it multiplayer where you've got that straightforward competition with, with the same dice yeah. for each of you. Um, the challenge boxes in solo mode also have time, timed goals. So, you know, can, can you get your five roads, road things out by round three? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so, so that uh, makes things a bit more. It, it would be nice to have a drafting solo mode, but I don't think they've uh, got there yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, drafting generally in solo, you know, lots of people have done different things around it. There's nothing it's completely satisfying yet, I don't think. So, yeah, it's, it's difficult to explain what the appeal is, I think. It's reasonably thinky, it's reasonably puzzly, it's social enough because you're, at least when I've been playing it, I'm, I'm sitting around with other people and we're saying, oh no, not one of those, or mm. I hope I get one of those, that, that kind of thing. It, it's not, not interactive, but it, but it's, it, it has that slightly social element to it. And, th- and then, at the end of the game, of course, when you're adding everything up, you can say, "Oh, right. Well, you you used that there, and I I did it over here." Yeah, no, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's it's. I don't see it as an award winner. I don't see it as you know my favourite game ever. <laughs> um, but I do very much enjoy. Well, quite like Fuse. In fact, if, mm. if I'm I'm not going to play it every week or every month, but every once in a while I get get it out and have a binge. Um, because I just. Yeah, oh, I think we all need games like that. And not not everything has to be the best game ever. As long as you can enjoy it, it doesn't have to be unique or anything else. Yeah, we we uh, at some point I may, may uh, have a subtopic on forgotten games. Mm. Yeah, there, there are things that, for example, I, I would never have heard of if I not, in some cases, demoed them at Essen. Yeah, I've never yeah. never seen them before or since. Those yeah. are really really good games that just got lost in. in the, I, I can in tell the you one off the top of my head that I've never seen mentioned anywhere. Yeti. Okay. Yeah, so you've never it. heard of it. <laughs> it's essentially King of Tokyo for slightly younger children, and it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That came out about six years ago, I think. <laughs> uh, so that's Railroad Inc., Yama Hack, and Lorenzo Silva, who also did uh, The King's Dilemma. Very good. Very different game. So I have been playing Nations by, bear with me here, and I'm going to butcher this horribly. Einar Rosen, Robert Rosen, Nina Harkinson, and Rustan Harkinson. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is probably a game that you've heard of. I think you haven't played it. I've played the dice game. Played the dice game. Um, both of which, the dice game and the original, are often criticised for terrible art, which I don't think is really a fair criticism. Um, mm. I, I don't think there's anything offensive about it. It is what it is. It's a... A civilization type game, and that's what the box art suggests. Um, yeah, I mean, look, look, looking at some of these card images, I mean, yes, it, it's here. Here is a picture of a dude uh, with, with a basically blank background. Well, yeah, exactly. There's nothing. There's nothing terrible about it. I'd say I think it's unfair criticism. Yes, it's not as spectacular as some of the art we've come to expect since Kickstarter became a common thing. Um, <laughs> but it's fine. Uh, so the basic premise of Behind Nations when the designers um, launched it was that it was through the ages but playable in 30 to 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. 
And if you, it's, it's a thing many people have tried. To many do it, people a, have tried to do it. Have you played through the ages? No. Okay. I've played through the ages as an app. I've never played it physically. Okay. With that qualifier, I think they largely delivered um, on what they set out to do. Mm-hmm. So it's a sieve builder, but it's not one that where you've got a, a map with territory or anything else. It's definitely not a 4X game. Sometimes they sort of cross over 4X and sieve builders. Sure. Um, this is very well, much... Uh, computer civilization is definitely doing both, and I think a lot of people are inspired by that. Exactly, and I think that's the, the one where people hear civilization game and that's what they think of this like through the ages is a tableau builder pure and simple Mm -hmm. um you each have your own uh starting civilization Um, there's a basic barbarian side of each player map which is the same for everybody um or you can flip it over to the other side and then you've got uh, you know greece china rome all your usual traditional civilization game civilizations Mm -hmm. Um, They all have one sort of unique starting ability. Um, But after that, it plays out the same. Right. Um, There's a a drafting board where all your cards go. When your cards at the start of the round, the drafting board is refilled. Um, Everything except the most expensive row. So the most expensive row becomes the cheapest row of any cards that are left in it and everything else is refilled. Okay. Um, so you're, uh, as I just, just sort of suggested or implied there, the, you're, you're paying to take cards from the offer in, the, in that drafting board. Um, you then put them down into your tableau. Um, on your player board, your tableau there, you've got, um, spots for different types of cards. So one card is reserved has to be your leader if you choose to draft a leader at any point. Mm-hmm. Um, two are for colonies. If you choose to conquer foreign lands, yeah, I'm I'm looking at the um, one of the, one of the designers' example board setup. Yeah, and it looks it's pretty tight. I mean, it is pretty tight. Spaces we, total. Yeah, and so I mean, this is where the real tightness comes in. So of those fourteen spaces, five are for wonders, mm-hmm. and another one is for a wonder that's under construction. <laughs> So you've instantly just knocked out you know, almost half your spaces there. Yeah. You've got, depending on which civilization you've got, there's four or five spots which can be your buildings or your military forces, which is really the core of the games. And you've only got four or five spots right. for doing that. Um, so once you put these cards out, um, one, as I said, there's a, a construction spot. You'll have to um, buy architects of which there's a limited number in each round. Mm-hmm. Um, and you each one there has a certain number of architects that require with a certain cost attached to each architect. So your your wonder stays under construction until you filled all those architect spots. And only at that point can you slide it down into one of the other wonder spots and start using its ability. So it's basically a money gate, but with that restricted resource as well. Yeah. Um, the buildings and military... Works slightly differently. Once you put them out, um, you once you draft it from the board, you immediately put it out onto your board in one of those four spots. It can cover up an existing building or military thing. If it does that, then the workers that were on that card come off the board. Right. So to use it, you have to put a worker on it. And you can put as many workers on there as you want, but there's a cost attached to each worker when you first place it. 
Okay. Okay. Generally speaking, the more powerful the building, um, the, the greater the cost for deploying a worker there. Okay, but it, but it's not escalating with subsequent workers, or is it? No, not normally. Um, no, not okay. in any case. Not in any case. Um, each building at the I'm, I'm sort of skipping ahead here as well, but each building um, at the end of the turn, at the end of the game, will score points depending on the number of workers that are there. Some mm-hmm. of those points escalate with the number of workers. Some of them de-escalate. And all of them mm-hmm. cap out. Right. So some of them will have sort of one worker, only one worker there will score you points. Some of them might get three workers that score you points, but it, it varies between the building and the military unit. Sure. While, while you have a military unit, that's for the direct benefits to you. It's not, you're not actually throwing that at other players, are you? No, that's right. So your workers will activate it. So, um, I'm just going to reach over behind me. I've got this set up from where I was playing again yesterday. So I've just pulled up a, a dreadnought. Um, mm-hmm. So that has a military value of 14. So for every worker I place on there, I increase my military value of 14. You can go up to 40 for military value. Mm-hmm. And I'll explain how that works in a moment. It also has a raid value of 7, which is separate. Yeah. Um, so again, for each worker I place on there, I'll increase my raid value by 7. Okay. The raids are what you use, um, and you use them in two ways. First of all, they're used for conquering um, territories, which, as say, are the the cards that you. There's two te- two um, colony colonies. They're called not territories. Two colony mm-hmm. slots on each player board, um, and they're just like an, an extra bonus that you get for having them on your board once you've conquered them. Sure. Um, the military values works to say you increase your position on the military track. That determines turn order. there's no direct player conflict Mm. but one of the things you can do on your turn is to buy a war from the offer (laughs) when you do that um, it goes out everybody is now involved in that that war Mm -hmm. Um, you can win or lose the war by being above or below the person who bought the war on the military track Right. If you win the war, nothing happens. If you lose the war, you will have to pay the penalty um, of that war. So, for example, the one I've just picked up here, the the Napoleonic War, if you lose it, you lose 11 food on your turn, which could be pretty catastrophic. So so there's no direct player conflict, but people can mess with you in that way. It's, It's about resources more than anything else. Some, somebody starts a war, everybody's going to potentially everybody, suffer by it. Well, potentially everybody could suffer, everybody could win. It, or I say win, really, win is just nothing happens, as I say. Everybody could suffer or not suffer. <laughs> what is <laughs> Which it is just for? like war, really. <laughs> um, so those sort of revolve around the resources. And I say that there's, um, there's four resources in the game. Food, ore, for want of a better word. It's nondescript. I don't know if it's iron, if it's stone or what it is. Um, Minerals. Gold. And I guess the third, the fourth one isn't even really resource, it's just victory points. But you can lose victory points doing certain things as well as gain them. Mm-hmm. Um, those are your sort of resource tokens. You also have the, the military track that I already mentioned. Um, the stability track. Yep. Um, I, I remember unrest coming up in the dice game far too often. Yeah. And the culture track, effectively. Um, which is done with book tokens, and that will often score you bonus points at the end as well. So you've got these different resources you're juggling. Um, in the multiplayer game, there's event cards, 
which dictate certain things happening on those tracks, really, and also mm-hmm. how much food you're going to have to pay each turn in terms of a, a famine event. Um, in the solo game, the event cards are replaced by event tiles. I don't really know why, because they basically function in the same way. <laughs> um, you're not competing against another nation. It is just this abstract AI opponent, which will have a position on each of the tracks, which will move depending on the um, event tile that you, you draw at the start of the turn. Right. Um, and that's and it will also again determine your your famine level, how much food you've got to give up on your, your on your turn. Um, it plays relatively quickly. Um, I said 30 to 60 minutes. 30 minutes is roughly what you should be looking at at a solo game. More players, greater time. Um, it's divided into four eras, Antiquity, Medieval, Renaissance and Industrial. And mm-hmm. each era lasts for two rounds of that card set. So at the, yeah. end, of the, at the end of the second round, um, you move on to a new card set with more powerful buildings and everything else. That presumably cost more. That cost more to deploy, and I mean they don't cost more to buy because you're, the 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 offer is always on the same um, offer board, which yeah. is in three rows of one coins, two coins, or three coins. So they never yeah. cost more to buy, but they do cost more to deploy. Mm-hmm. Now, the, there's a thing I've seen in quite a few games where you have different ways of getting points. Mm. Some some of them you can just specialize in something. Others you you have to have a bit in everything yeah uh would you say where would you say this falls on that i think generally speaking you want to have a bit in in everything um so for example you know that that napoleonic war that i just mentioned um if if the ai is ahead of you or your opponent is ahead of you when they deploy that war Mm -hmm. um and you can't get the military strength to to survive the war losing 11 food is bad enough Mm-hmm. Losing eleven food if you don't have eleven food is a lot worse. So at that point, okay. what you have to do is lose culture and victory points. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you do need to sort of keep a balance. Um, I mean, particularly uh, say something like that. The military, uh, even if you're not particularly interested in waging wars, you're not affecting other people directly, but you are affecting them indirectly. And- they're affecting you indirectly. You don't want to lose lots of wars because it's costing you points. So at the very least, you need to be able to, to keep up more or less with whoever it is who's actually going to choose to call the war. Exactly. Which is presumably somebody who's going to be fairly high on the military track or they wouldn't be doing it. Exactly. Um, and then, you know, you need resource, you need ore for, for building buildings and, and for, let's say, for building buildings. You need them for deploying workers, effectively. Thematically, mm. it might be building buildings, but you need them for deploying workers. Yeah. Um, and you know, food. You've got the famine events, and um, you know you do need to juggle all these things. Coins you need for for buying cards from the offer. Um, you start off. Each country starts off with um, five or six. I think one of the nations comes with six workers to start the game mm-hmm. as their special power. For the most part, you start off with five workers. There's another maximum of eight that you can deploy. Right. But doing so get, nets you penalties. So at the start of each round, you have a choice. You can either take some free extra resources, and the difficulty of the you choose at the start of the game what difficulty level you're playing on. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's actually a nice handicapping mechanism because different players can choose to play at a different difficulty level. Okay. As long as you all agree with that. Um, 
So you can choose to take some resources depending on the difficulty level you're playing at, or you can deploy a worker. Whenever you deploy a worker, you can deploy... There's two areas you can deploy a worker from. One of them, you're going to lose three food to pay for that worker every round from there on. Mm-hmm. The other one, you will lose three on the stability track. Right. <laughs> so you could you, you want you know like all sort of worker placement type games the more workers you've got out the more options you have the more points you can get but you've got to pay for them mm-hmm. and if you don't have the stability to lose or you don't have the food to give up which will cost you points if you as we've already discussed if you don't have the resources you'll lose points then maybe actually you can't make that decision at that point it's a bit of a gamble do you deploy a worker do you just take the resources and have a have an easier life so at, at the very least, you want a buffer in a bit of buffer in everything. Absolutely, just 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 to let you make choices when you want to. Absolutely. So I mean, yeah, I say there's eight workers there. I mean, if you can do maths, I said that each round lasts for each era lasts for two rounds, and there's four eras. So that's one worker. You'd be deploying a worker every single round to get all of those workers out. Mm-hmm. Although there are a couple of cards, um, including one I had in my last game, Abraham Lincoln as my leader, who will let me take that deploy a worker action as many times as I want on my turn. Just pay for it, right? As long as I pay for it, yeah. <laughs> uh, but he only comes out, Abraham Lincoln obviously only comes out in the industrial era, so he's coming out at the end of the game anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I grabbed him and I thought, brilliant, right, let's get all these workers out and try and rack up as many points as I can. And then I suddenly realised, oh god, I don't actually have the ore to pay for deploying all these workers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I mean, it's a really interesting game, I think, and I do think it delivers that through the ages experience in a much shorter time frame. It's not a, you know, four hour plus. It's 30 to 60 minutes, depending on player count. Um, the biggest criticism I have, I think, particularly on the, the lower player count, particularly playing it single, solo, um, the number of cards that are in that on, in the offer on that card offer board varies depending on player count. Mm-hmm. Um, at none of the player counts are you going to see all of the cards from that era. Right. So you've always got that slight degree of that particular one didn't come up this day. This game. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, I mean, that's a good thing. That's replayability. You don't want to see all of the cards in any given era. But if you're mm-hmm. playing solo and you know, you're really, I think, if you can see this pile of cards I'm holding up to you right now, that's quite a, a large card pile. Mm-hmm. That's what's left over of the era four cards at the end of my game. Right. And that's what, 50 odd? Something like Something that? Something like that, yeah. Um, you're seeing a very tiny fraction of the cards in each game, which, yes, gives, you know, increases the variability game to game. But as we were just discussing, um, in one of one of the other games we talked about just now, it, it also increases the randomness. That, and we'll be coming back to that in a bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, perhaps there's one war card comes out that the AI or your opponent grabs and puts a war card out, but then actually you've got no way of increasing your military power. Yeah. <laughs> so at that point, you, you've got. You, the option to try and increase your military to not lose the war isn't there. So all you can do is try to mitigate the loss as best you can. Yeah, that, that's the thing I, d- I find. Uh, I'm, I found it with oh, action selections and de- some deck builders mm. where, where you say, yes, I've, I've got this ability to do this thing, but it's not in my hand right now. Yeah. It should just be a thing I can do. Which, yeah, it, it, it's it's the... 
I, I accept that for, for, for game purposes. It just, it just irks me in, in my theme sense. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, that, that, you know, the last game I gave it played again was a, a classic case in point that I had the most basic military unit, uh, hoplite or hoplite as some people refer to them, mm-hmm. um, for right up until the industrial era when I was suddenly yeah. able to get a, a whacking great frigate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, in, in, in the, uh, in the dice game version I, I played a while back, um, we, we did very badly on points. We had lots of military, so mm. the, the entire world was, was, was speaking Polish and cowering at the feet of our navy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that, that, that's yeah. the, that's, that's the biggest downside of the game, I think. You know, that there is, a, you know, a, a large degree of randomness there. Um, and generally, my... this, this clearly doesn't cripple the game for many people. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And uh, again, that's almost, I don't know, I was going to say it's almost a self-leveling thing if you're playing multiple players. I don't know if it is. I haven't tried it with multiple players. But at least mm. you've all got a, a larger choice of cards to look at. As I say, yeah. in the solo game, you've got a more restricted pool. Um, so you're less likely to see certain cards, you're even less likely, I should say, to see certain cards come up. And if something like a war does come out, the AI does grab a war card and start a war, then you, you might be left with nothing to do about it. Is the AI constrained by the available cards, or does it just run an automatic? So the way the AI works is a six-sided die, which instantly means random. <laughs> um, if the play- if the AI is first in the player order, they will go first. After that, they will take a turn every time you take a card from the offer. So if you do anything else on your turn, deploy a worker or um, you know, build a wonder or you know those things, that the, the AI is mm. not doing anything, which does help but speed are, the game up quite a bit. But you are going to have to take cards. So. Uh, you are going to have to take cards. Um, so when you roll the, the die, there's, there's four columns of cards in the solo game in, in the offer. When you roll the, the D6... If it's a one to a four, the AI will remove all of the cards in that column. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a five or a six, you look at the event tile that's active and it will tell you to do something for, for one of those values. Um, I think that's basically manipulating its position on one of the tracks, the military, the, the military, the culture, the stability, um, or it's removing some architects from the architect pool. Right, so so it's doing things to mess you about, but it's not directly benefiting from those cards it wipes, that sort of thing. It's not, and it's not scoring either. So it is a yeah. beat-your-own-score solo game in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, again, that speaks to the randomness of what cards are available. My, my scores on a solo game tend to vary between about 30 and 55, so it's quite a big range. Yeah, And I think that probably is more to do with what cards come out than you know, what civilization I start with and what their starting ability is. Makes sense, yeah. That's uh, Nations by four Scandinavians whose names I mentioned earlier. So you lent me Castellion and I did. I had fun with it in a way that doesn't encourage me particularly <laughs> to want to play it more. Oh, uh, I, I know you like abstract games, Roger. So I did think this one might be more up your street. 
Well, I, I'm, I'm coming to realise this as as I try uh, various games. I think I often start off as a casual. Mm. Let's learn the rules. That's how it goes. That's how it works. That's how the bits fit together, mm-hmm. and so on. And then then I try to improve my play. And that, then after a bit, I start thinking, okay, I'm reason, reasonably serious at this game now. Mm-hmm. And the 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 core puzzle of making the color formations without the adjacent shapes yeah. is lovely. Mm-hmm. The the thing that was a stumbling block for me was that randomness of the tiles. And yes, there are ways of mitigating it, particularly yeah. in the level three game, yeah. Um, where, yeah. where you have the the individual powers. And of course, you you have the guaranteed safe deck of this will not increase your traitor count tiles. Mm-hmm. But it's still very difficult for me to say. You know, I got this far this time. I got that far last yeah. time. Yeah. Did I actually play any better? Now, I think yeah, you know, we we talked about this um, last month when I was describing the game to you, didn't mm. I? That you know you, you can get a bad draw and just lose the game within the first few tiles. Well, it, it wasn't so much the instant loss as the okay. I've now drawn um, you know, four out of the five uh, timing tiles that mm-hmm. will tri- trigger the first thing. So basically, I can now only draw from the safe pile, yeah. And I'm I'm going to exhaust that safe pile because the ty- the one tile I needed to finish the thing <laughs> you've was already drawn right at the bottom of it. <laughs> uh, and that 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 is that is the thing that would it's it's not not a major drawback, but it, it's it's a niggle for me that stops mm-hmm. me being enthused about playing it more. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair uh, enough. Which is a shame because I I do enjoy the base game, and I'm I wonder whether. I've, I, I may try before I give it back to you. Mm. Ha, yeah, ha, having a, I don't know, a hand of, hand of three, draw one, play one, something like that, which would obviously make it much easier in, yeah. in, in game terms, but I, I wonder whether that would satisfy my, um, don't really like the randomness. Possibly. Itch. Possibly. I mean, yeah, it, I mean, that's all, almost, it's almost exacerbated, isn't it? When you, when you use, I think it's the blue tiles to, um, you know, draw four. Um, but then you're sat looking at those four and you go, well, I don't want any of these and I've got to use up all of them before I'm allowed to draw anything else. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, so it's not a hand in that respect that you've got four from that point onwards. You've always got a choice of four. And I really don't want to play, place a red over there because that will mess up my red formation. Yeah. So it needs to go over there, but that's, yeah. ah, that, <laughs> that's, I love actually mm. that, that, that frustration of I've got to do the thing and. Every, everything is a slightly bad option, which is going to be the least bad option. That that I really rather enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's just that, yeah. And if a different tile had come up, I would have done vastly better. Yeah. But yeah, as as we we're saying, that that happens a bit with nations. That happens a bit with railroad ink. Yeah. It, it's just a thing that happens. Well, I mean, it, it's uh, a thing that's inherent to a game, isn't it? You've got to have randomness in it, otherwise, it's a puzzle. <laughs> or an opponent. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, your opponent is the randomness at that point. Oh, humans are terrible at being random. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one negative point, one positive point, fairly minor ones. That mm. shuffling the tiles is, is oddly fiddly. I, yeah. I ended up yeah. putting them into the box lid and just swirling them around. Yeah, that would um, work. But I really like the presentation and the art. Mm. Um, Again, we spoke I, about I, this last week. Didn't we? the, the, the presentation for all of those Oniverse games in the the current editions, if if they're still the current editions, is fantastic. Yeah, this is. I think the the same general idea as Onirim, where mm. you've got that um, unfolding triangular bit at the, at the front of the yeah. box to to reveal the situation. Yeah, well, it's like a storybook, isn't it? You're, you're entering yeah. into this world. 
Yeah. And I, I do wonder, um, the, the big complaint people have about only room is I have to keep shuffling the deck. Mm. And if you're swirling the tiles around, well, you don't have to shuffle the deck. So maybe, no. maybe that was a deliberate uh, choice. <laughs> I, I, I could certainly see it working as a card game. There's no technical reason why it couldn't. It would just take a bigger play space. It would take up a lot so. of space, wouldn't it? Well, I suppose, well, yeah. six by six. So it would take up a similar amount of space, actually, to um, Sylveon, the other the other game mm-hmm. we spoke about last month. And that is cards, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. So <laughs> maybe they were experimenting. But, yeah, I'm... <sighs> It's. I, I almost wish I could like it more, <laughs> and, 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 I, and I, may, I may well poke at it a bit um, to, to see if that see if that works mm. for that particular thing that's irking me. Did you try? I mean, you you obviously got to the the proper game, as it were, the third level of difficulty. Did you try mixing in any of the expansions? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay. I think yeah, it took me quite a while to to do that myself. Um, they were interesting I, I, little. I was really wrinkles. trying to get the hang of the core yeah. first. Yeah, which I think and is the I, way to I, do it. I, th- I think the level one, two, three thing was was a good progression in terms mm. of the learning curve. mechanics. I learned those mechanics. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> cautious recommendation. <laughs> yeah. If if that particular thing that irks me doesn't irk you, then then I would say yes, absolutely, go for it. Well, <laughs> so. I mean, I mean, cautious recommendation from you know, from both of us is uh, that, that that is something, isn't it? That's not meaningless. With us both yeah, having different tastes in games. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you've, you've lent me Tobago. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think we said there was some solo variants on BGG for. I haven't tried them. I, I played Tobago with my partner, mm-hmm. um, who is not a board gamer. Um, I, I do log my plays on Board Game Geek and I, checked after playing the game with her that the last game we played was on New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's the first game we played this year. So for some context as to... My, my partner is less of a board gamer than yours. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to get them together. <laughs> um, but I asked her afterwards what she thought about it. Um, and she said she found it very stressful because she finds playing any new game stressful. Mm-hmm. Which is part of the reason that she doesn't play games often enough, which is a very weird thing, but we won't get into that. Um, so yeah, I've played it, um, I think we just performed on board game arena before and it was the first time playing it with the physical components. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also the first time playing it with, at a player count of two. And I think both of us felt that it's better at an increased player count. She felt that intuitively. I, I felt that. Um, yeah, just with being able to compare it to previous games. Um, and I think part of the reason for that is the, the, the build up to the game becomes much slower at two players. Yeah. Well, because you're taking turns to lay clues in a four player game, it could get down to you again. And, you know, there's already one treasure where you know where it is on the map. Or very close to that. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I, I think I've played it two player once and I got beaten hollow by somebody who'd never played it before so clearly that that, that game is broken <laughs> <laughs> well I mean it's funny you mentioned scores as well actually because I mean I, I was fairly convinced that my partner had won um, I saw her take several of the, the six value treasure cards which mm-hmm. I didn't even know existed before I've never had one but I saw, <laughs> I saw her take several of them 
And yet, at the end, we added up the scores and she'd got 37 and I had 62 somehow. So it was a big margin to me. Uh, okay. Maybe she got the few rich ones and you got lots of small ones, but. Um, no, I, I, th- I think I got all of the middle value ones. Um, right. and also she got hit by the both curse cards. Um, yeah. I escaped the first one because I had an amulet. Um, the second time round, this, this is the, the beauty of, um, it's, it's an indication of the importance of hidden knowledge. So we both, we got down to the treasure cards. She looked at some of them. I looked at some of them. We added one, we shuffled them together. And she said mm-hmm. to me, so I'm going to lose my most valuable treasure card. And I said, oh, so you looked at a, a curse card then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so when it came round to my turn, uh, to draw, I think there were, I, I had a choice. So I, when I was doing to my card to choose, there were two cards left after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the, the card that I had to choose from wasn't a curse card. So I thought, well, she's already told me there's a curse card in this deck. There's no way that I'm not taking whatever it is I'm being offered. Sure. Sure enough, the next one out was a curse card, but by that point, my remaining Compass Rose had gone, so I wasn't in it anymore. So I escaped that one as well. Uh, the, uh, yeah, but when you're in that situation, what, what you want, what you want is to say that when there's a six. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas um, we're nice people, and Danny certainly would never lie to anybody. Um, she just made yeah. the mistake of also revealing to me that there was a curse card yeah. there as well. Yeah, when I've um, been in games that people were teaching. Uh, they often put a big emphasis on, okay, you know, when we get to this level of the treasure deck, the curse cards may be there. And by then you want to have at least one amulet in, in stock. Yeah. And it was, yeah, I mean, again, I think again, because there were two of us playing the game, the amulets on the board really racked up. They were everywhere by the end mm. of the game. Um, yeah. Which yeah, is... the, the two player game I had, I think some, somebody picked up three in a turn or something like that. Yeah, whether I mean, I, I actually started wondering at that point. I thought, well, if if a space has already got an amulet on it, do I add another one there? Does if that's I not th- clear in the rules? I, I did. Hmm. I don't know. I did, but I felt like I shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and and so I mean, that was another point of playing a low player count. That that sort of um, you, you, you from the early game, you're sort of building up all these treasures. And then suddenly there's a switch where treasures are just, you know where all the treasures are. There's amulets are coming out thick and fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's very much a sort of a, a game of two halves at that point. Um, so I think I enjoyed yeah. it more as a, a four player game than I do at two. Um, yeah, uh, B, BGG also says best at four. Uh, yeah, I've been happy with it at three, but yeah, I, I think the two does suffer a bit. Which um, which does make me wonder about those, um, you know, the solo variants of BGG. I haven't looked at them, but if it's just, um, you know, a, a beat your own score or a single player a scoring opponent or something that you're playing against, I think it would still suffer. Um, mm-hmm. If it's trying to replicate, you know, three different AIs playing against you, that's going to be an enormous upkeep for a game that probably doesn't warrant it. Yeah, I. The impression I guess is, is that it, um, I, I had a quick skim, skim of some of the solo stuff and it basically, we, we will put down other cards on treasures, mm. but mostly, uh, to, to, and, and then occasionally scoop up amulets. Yeah. Uh, to, just to make sure that, uh, you can't just have everything your own way. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it, 
I, I enjoy the game. I still like it. Um, the it's inverse deduction is that a thing? I suppose. Because I mean, I, I said to Danielle, it's not deduction, and she said, "Oh, it is deduction, but it's not deduction in the classic way that board games do deduction. You're not collecting clues to things. You're you're act- actively choosing and giving clues." Yeah, I, th- I think we we said last time there are, there are a couple of of other games that are a bit like that, but yeah. it's not a common mechanism. No. So I mean, I, I yeah, it's it's uh, an interesting, unusual, fun family weight game. Would you say family weight? You're 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 not convinced. I I don't know. I mean, I I, I don't have uh, family who play games at all. So yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, perhaps a step... I, I I would have said may, maybe one one step up from I've never played a modern board game before. Yeah, yeah. So it's that but, sort but, of but, but if but you're only one step. Yeah, exactly that. That's what I was going to say. If you, if people are sort of familiar and comfortable playing. Catan, Ticket to Ride, Pandemic, those sort of level games. Tobago's mm-hmm. not going to be a big stretch for them. Yeah. But if and they've I, only I, ever I, played Monopoly, then they're not going to get it at all. This might be a thing we talk about at some point, but but one of the skills one has to learn is learning the rules for a new game reasonably fast. Mm. Mm. Um, at least well enough to get get the basic idea of whether one wants to play it again. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd say it would be really interesting to do one one point if we could somehow persuade our partners to come on for, <laughs> for our discussion at the end of um, what's what's horrible about learning new board games and why they aren't interested. Mm, yeah, possibly, possibly. Well, I'll ask yeah. from a safe distance. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was Tobago. So, welcome to this week's this week's welcome to this month's discussion <laughs> after Thank a hiatus last month. Me. Thank you, Athena. So, yes, our guest this week is Athena from Solitaire Times. Would you like to introduce yourself? Well, um, I, I suppose people might know me from the one uh, player guild on BGG. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been running the Kickstarter list for long. three years now. <laughs> A long time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and a couple of years ago, no, a year ago, we decided to, uh, me and Jakob Willem, mm-hmm. a fellow guilty, uh, decided to uh, start our own website uh, in which we feature uh, board game releases, solo board game releases, Kickstarter and retail. So we are basically a news website and also write whatever we feel like. I mean, <laughs> it's not just news. No. Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Solitaire Times is uh, primarily a, a news website for solo board games um, and you write some opinion pieces there as well. I, I exactly. thought I thought you'd been going longer than a year. I must admit, <laughs> uh, we are close to 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 our uh, second birthday. Yeah, okay, that makes more yeah. sense. Part yes, of the yes. fabric of the the solo board game community. Now. I lost track of time. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's best not to remember. 
it, 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 is, it is a re- really interesting, distinctive voice. I mean, yeah, a lot of places say, here's the game I played and here's the review of it and so on. But it's just a, a bit more, yeah, all right. You, your audience is people who play quite a lot of games. They know what you're talking about. They don't have to be told what a worker placement is. And so, oh, yeah, you, so, yeah, you, yeah. so you can go a bit further and say, this is why this no, game is special. It's not for newbies, yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so the topic of this discussion this week this episode is deluxification and oh. this um yeah I, I'm, I'm going to monologue for a bit now if you don't mind this isn't something i normally do but this goes back to something i posted on board game geek in december last year and I, i've got my opening thread up in front of me and i'm going to read it out but hopefully yeah. as i read it it's going to make sense as to why i wanted athena to come on as the doyen of kickstarter news <laughs> Uh, I mean, sorry to interrupt no, you, but um, I was actually surprised that you invited me to talk about the subject because I'm not the most, but they, <laughs> I mean, I'm not the best person to, to speak about the del- delexification because I, I, I rarely think, do. No, I know. <laughs> and I, I, I'm, this is going to be a strange one because um, we're going to be relying on Roger for some positive input, I think. <laughs> I, I have some props down here. <laughs> <laughs> so this thread I kicked off did spark some discussion back then, which is why I thought it'd be nice to go over it again. Um, so, yeah, launching into the monologue, I wrote, first a bit of background. Like many people my age, I came into the hobby via Hero Quest and Advanced Hero Quest, then a decade spent painting armies for Warhammer as well as playing other work- games, workshop games. I still play some tabletop miniatures games and I still like to have plastic miniatures in my thematic board games. Principally, these are dungeon crawlers, but in theory, I'd like to see my hero and their enemies manifested on the table in an adventure game too. That would help me immerse me in the game. Most of the games I play these days, though, are Euro games, and I find the growing trend for 3D and deluxe components off-putting. When Everdell was first on Kickstarter a few years ago, I remember seriously thinking about it, it, then backing out. That in itself isn't unusual for me, but the reason... That's a stupid and pointless cardboard tree. What's it adding to the game except extended setup and tear down storage problems, viewing problems and component wear? Yes, I remember how the cardboard furniture in HeroQuest wore over time. Recently, I received my pre-order of Praga Cap at Regni and began punching it. My heart sank when I saw the 3D components. Then I watched a playthrough and found that they are unnecessary. I was punching components while watching the playthrough and when I found out the 3D constructions were unnecessary... I left unpunched the bits of 3D stuff I hadn't punched and forced those bits that I had punched back into their boards. They now sit in the bottom of the box. I'm now watching a playthrough of Paleo and find myself looking at the 3D components thinking, why are they in a card game? They're unnecessary. I guess if I ever did get the game, I could leave them unpunched, but that seems wasteful. Like with Everdale all those years ago, it's putting me off. Since Everdale, I've been put off by a variety, put off a variety of games by deluxe components too. Poker chips? Why? Metal coins? Functionally the same as cardboard coins, except they make an irritating noise and risk damaging other components in the box. <laughs> I don't need them or want them. So how unusual am I? I frequently see board gamers express a wish that a game could come with standees instead of miniatures, but I don't recall ever seeing the same degree of antipathy toward the growing trend of adding table presence to Euro games. My own feelings of being pro-plastic in thematic games and preferring wood, cardboard and a flat table surface in Euro games certainly displays inconsistencies that I'm conscious of, but am I alone? 
Does anyone else feel like they're swimming against the tide of games getting becoming bigger, more expensive and more vulgar and find that puts them off certain games? Over to you guys. <laughs> well, I, I, I may be a, a counter voice to some of this stuff, but broadly, I'm, I'm very much in agreement with that. There are some games that I have deluxified myself, but generally I don't want them to come like that out of the box. Yeah, so you're a, a 3D printer. Yep, um, and in fact that my business card for the 3D printing is one of the things I, I, I'll, I'll stick this in the show notes as well. Um, I did, that's a, a fire and smoke marker for Flashpoint. Uh, it, as it, as it comes in, in the, um, box, it's a double-sided cardboard thing. One mm-hmm. side fire, one side smoke. So, so I just ex- extend it to that. It, it's quite a small thing, but I find it makes it easier to read the table and just more fun to look at. So yeah, okay. Maybe, maybe I'm part of the problem here. <laughs> <laughs> Athena, do, do you agree that Roger's part of the problem? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't consider it a problem, actually, because it's a matter of how one wants to use their disposable income. Mm. Uh, I, I suppose that, uh, well, it, with regards to what I choose to be latified, I I would be... A bit more spendthrift if I had more money. <laughs> it goes <laughs> like that, I suppose. Um, although I'm not a, a form uh, in favor of form before function mm-hmm. person. So if something doesn't have a use, I will be buying it. Um, uh, I recently backed uh, the Terraforming Mars campaign with um, 3D tiles. Yeah. Uh, which I am very pleased with. <laughs> it has really um, enhanced the appearance of the game. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I liked the game before, but now it has become a, a really nice table presence for me i'm i'm uh, i'm happy to have uh, acquired these um, tiles and painted them good um other than that i mean there are games in which you have the option of making them even prettier but i don't see the point mm-hmm. uh for example spirit island uh there used to be a kickstarter um couple of weeks ago, I believe, um, by E-Raptor, Tech-Raptor. Yeah. I don't remember the name yeah. of the company, the Polish company, um, which sells acrylic um, components mm. for games. Uh, and they had a set of acrylic um, tokens for Spirit Island to replace the cardboard um, cheats. Uh and I was like, okay, yes, I like Spirit Island. Yes, I played a lot. However, what is the point? What's it adding <laughs> to the experience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but, sure, acrylic is nice to look at. It's translucent, but... I mean, I also yeah. feel that there's <laughs> a... The there's a distinction here that needs making between a game that's sold with deluxe 3D components... And a game where you can upgrade them yourself, like Roger's token, like the Kickstarter for the extra components. 
it's just it's a slightly different thing it's not placing the onus on you as a consumer buying the game in the first place that you have to get mm-hmm. these components definitely yes 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 it it makes a big difference because you you don't feel like uh, you're missing out yeah it's different to to have two options and clearly see that the deluxe option offers you a nicer experience that you would be kind of missing out if you mm-hmm. chose a simpler one and i think that, it, that fear of missing out's important as well as i think this is a trend that started with kickstarter but then yes. we see with the examples the games that i mentioned in my monologue there praga caput regni and paleo mm-hmm. are both retail mm-hmm. games that come with these components straight away right uh yeah i believe the the everdell tree is the, yeah <laughs> the most what, what, everybody what complains about <laughs> no, nobody seems actually to like it i mean ev- everybody says stupid component I, yeah i tried it it gets in the way on the table i can't see what's going on and yet people still use it yeah. i mean if if i it put, it put me off buying the game but if i had bought it it would be another one that would stay at the bottom of the box and i never used it There is one game I can think of that that offered an explicit choice, uh, which is Evil High Priest. Uh, Came out about three years ago, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a worker placement game, and you you have various resources that you build up over time, and and you're trading them off against each other and so on. And it comes with cardboard tokens by default. Uh, And at the Kickstarter, you you could get it. So $50 of the base game, $80 with, with the gameplay expansions, or you could spend another hundred and thirty something dollars on top of that to get all the plastic tokens and plastic cultists and so on. And I'm I'm glad they offered the choice because if it had come with the plastic, I would simply never mm. have touched it. I do actually quite enjoy the game, but you know this this is more one hundred and fifty percent extra on the price, mm. and it's presumably a... people went for it because they certainly you know produced those boxes. It's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, at any time that the the big dungeon crawlers exist on Kickstarter, and Athena, you'll have seen this in the comments, instantly people start saying, oh, well, can't you do an option with standees? I don't care about miniatures, it'll be cheaper. That's true, yes. When I first started with Dragon Dawn Productions, it was around about the time that the revised edition of Perdition's Mouth went onto Kickstarter. And we had conversations about it then. And what it amounted to was that to produce a version of standees would actually have been more expensive than the miniatures version, just purely based on the numbers of people that would buy the standee version and the production cost of that compared to the normal Mm -hmm. version. So -hmm. the maths behind it isn't always as straightforward as you think it's going to be. Yeah, that's a separate thing to keep in stock. And supply the right yeah. thing to the right person, and you know, what does the retail channel want, and all the rest of it. Just, it's just extra yeah. complication. Even but but the, even ignoring that. that, they did the maths on producing standee yeah. yeah. copies, and how how many of those they'd be producing, what the production price per copy would be, and it worked mm-hmm. out more than the miniatures mm-hmm. copy. Yeah. Yes, yes, I was initially surprised that this was a more expensive option option for the company, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, apparently it goes uh, according to numbers of um, customers. It's so, exactly yeah. that. And you've, you've got to create more assets. You need art for the standees. You then have to pay for the um, the cutting machines for the for cutting mm-hmm. out the standees. It's, it's all more costs. And if you're only producing, you know, say, 
three, four hundred copies to satisfy that number of Kickstarter backers, it's not worth it. Yeah. What can I say? I mean, I, I, I suppose the vast majority of gamers prefers deluxe components. Uh, that, that's what I, my impression is. I mean, uh, one example of, I mean, this is a, uh, an exaggerated mm. example, but for example, when I, uh, I remember the, the Kickstarter campaign for Cthulhu Death May Die mm-hmm. yeah. by, uh, Simon. That Come was on. the one with the, Really With big. The giant yeah, yeah. More of statue. more of a garden ornament than a miniature. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I, I abandoned that, it at that point. I yeah, apparently that, the game's quite good, but ridiculous, yeah. utterly ridiculous. And yet there were people who ordered it. So. Well I, I I mean people buy these superhero models and things, don't they, to go into their homes. And I guess it's the same people. Yeah, that, yeah. It doesn't right. but maybe Maybe you use it in the game, maybe you don't, but otherwise it's just an ornament on the shelf. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, I, I really don't know whether people do, the majority of people do prefer it or not. I, I genuinely have no idea. that, And that's why I po- first posted this argument, because it feels like the, the vocal people, the people with money, hmm. that back things on Kickstarter, yes, they want that. But mm-hmm. as more and more games move to that model, there's there's less choice. And yes. I mean, I might be unusual in that these things actively put me off, but I'm mm-hmm. sure there's plenty of other people that would happier settle, for want of a better word, for a less deluxe version. I suppose it, it also has to do with the fact that most backers are American, North American, which means... They have bigger houses. <laughs> they have bigger houses. They have a great disposable um, income. They this have is the, on salary. average. I don't want to say everybody in America. There, yeah, well, there, there are enough people with the money in the space that they yeah. can, that you can run a game on that, even if there are other people who can't. Mm. They have space. They have good salaries. Most of them, I suppose. Mm. I mean, a, a, a good enough income, let's say. Um, if they choose to not back a Kickstarter and buy the game through retail, they have extremely lower prices compared yeah. to those in Europe. Yeah. So they can actually buy uh, games for half the price even mm. than what we spend here. So that market, which is the biggest portion of the market, tends to decide how things are. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Well, it, it, it's, it's the biggest portion with... with, with yeah, you, you, you could have more people who want a cheap game, but by paying less each, and therefore the overall money is more if you go for the high end. So, I'm, I'm just thinking of Cult, Cult Express, which um, yeah. you know, starts off with, with a 3D cardboard train, so it, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's not trying to be subtle about table presence. Um, but, the, the 3D cacti, yeah, which have no game effect at all. Uh, no. But I, I got more or less. Have you ever played it with them? Yes, but only because somebody insisted on trying it. Uh, I, I was interested because I've played Cold Express maybe half a dozen times, different groups of people, mm-hmm. and never used the cactuses. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um, the so you, you have standard meeples. 
but you also, you have flat cardboard loot that you're picking up during the game. You have to fish mm. it out of these train carriages and so on. And so, so in, uh, because I got the, I got painted meeples and a playmat in a maths trade more or less by accident, I 3D printed some loot markers to go with them. So now, I mean, it would be nice if they were wood, but they, they actually feel more in keeping with, with the, the way the game looks than just this little bit of cardboard. Um, I was just reminded me, uh, I was just reminded of, um, because uh, Lee mentioned Euro games um, mm. and how they have started leaning towards uh, impressive production values. Yeah. Uh, and for me, uh, the company which uh, has uh, built a reputation by now uh, in this uh, regard is Mind Clash Games. Okay. Um, I thought you were going to say Eagle Griffin. <laughs> Oh yeah, I actually <laughs> forgot about it. But I think Mind Clash is even more grandiose right. lately. Do, do you want to have, just mention some of the games? I remember the the one with the dinosaurs perseverance was the latest Kickstarter they had with minis, standees, cardboard. It was a huge production, mm. I think. And it comes also in chapters, so more boxes are going to follow. Now they're working on um forex sci-fi game, which right. it, uh, from what I've seen in the um, pictures, is going to be another grand production, mm-hmm. possibly with minis and... Just as you mentioned, minis and forex. Mm. Do the roots of this go back to Scythe. Would Scythe be the success it was without the, what do they call the giant robot things? I mean, they certainly played the role, but in in the, the case of Scythe, I think it was also the, the artwork which was yeah, very that's true. Yeah, I, I think the actual mecha are somewhat deceptive because I've, I've seen people pick pick up size and think, okay, this is going to be a fighting mm. giant robot game. And it really isn't. It's just a tiny bit of the game. So. It, 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 functionally, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they could be anything. They could be wooden tokens, and they're not an important part of the game. No, but people that's... do get excited about getting them out on the board. Yeah. Yes. They really look good, the mechs, but uh, yeah, I, I believe you don't use them that much. Nice. Um, but yeah, in that case, I think it was the museum quality artwork that mm-hmm. really yeah. attracted at first. Uh, but I'm just thinking, I mean, when did Scythe come out now? Six years ago? Something like. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking of that is sort of Jamie Stegmeier maybe in Scythe, uh, the, the origins of this deluxification of Euro games, which is effectively what Scythe is. Mm. Well, I, I think it, it, the, the revolutionary thing he did there um, is, in, in terms of game mechanics, it, it's doing some interesting things, but it's not amazingly different. No. But but it is presented... I mean, it, it, it could sit on a table next to Twilight Imperium. It's got all these bits. It mm. looks like a great big expand and conquer mm. game. And I, I think that's... Maybe I'm going to... Cop some wrath from Stonemaier fans here, but <laughs> and, uh, that's kind of their modus operandi, isn't it? That they have th- these tables with enormous, or these tables, games with enormous table presence, but they play within about an hour. They're fairly simple to play. They're sort of a 
light to medium weight Euro game generally. They're not doing anything especially innovative. It, it's, it's all about the package and how they look. Yeah, I'm, many, many people enjoy the games. I'm, I'm not really that sort of I'm not saying they're like, bad but, games, but, but, but they're not, they're I, not complex or they, they look more impressive and bigger and more complicated than they are. I, I think the innovative thing, the different thing about them is def, definitely that they are presented to be flashy as well as mm. you got a bit of slightly complicated Euro gameplay in there. I'm, I'm just remembering, I'm, yes. I've, I've set up. Cult Express, I've set up Evil High Priest at conventions and had people come along and say, hey, can I play this? So, you know, table presence counts for something. I believe uh, Jamie Stegmaier has actually found the secret <laughs> of good marketing. I mean, <laughs> he, he, he has created the branding that, yeah. I mean, the name alone attracts people even without having seen any of uh, his games, forthcoming, let's say. He, he, he's been he phenomenal. He customer base. Mm. It's going to sell no matter what. So yeah, he'll announce the game and put it up for pre-order the next day and it will sell out. Exactly. And fair play <laughs> to him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he really knows what he's doing. He, he knows his market. The right balance yeah. of... Uh, Good, nice appearance, mm. fairly nice gameplay. I suppose I haven't ever <laughs> played the game by then because I know I like um, Otomas. <laughs> so, yeah. I, 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 I've mean, played Scythe a couple of times with other people and it's it's okay. Scythe is okay and I think you know, I've played it with other people a number of times and I, I, I quite enjoy it in that experience. But another game of his... Um, God, what was it called? The supposed 4X-y thing at Civ Builder. Uh, the, the Civilizations game. Yeah. I can't think what it was. Um, tapestry. But, tapestry, yeah. thank you. But that's yeah. another one that I had a copy of that and I really didn't like the sort of Wallace and Gromity buildings in it. <laughs> <laughs> to the extent that I wasn't really enjoying the gameplay, but those sort of Wallace and Gromity type buildings in it with the final straw that made me go, no, I'm getting rid of this. They again put me off. If it had just been simple polyomino tiles, yeah. fine. <laughs> I, I know people who really like the game, but still say, you know, the buildings don't actually add very much. I would have preferred to have it cardboard as you say cardboard tiles and then it would, would could have been a cheaper game maybe yeah because yeah you know, they, they put serious effort into getting those buildings the shapes they wanted and so on so i mean i suppose we're going back to this they stonemaier do games very successfully they have a very loyal audience is that audience reflective of a general bias preference within board gamers for deluxe components, deluxe editions of games. Well, let's talk about Wingspan. Yes. Huge, yeah, hugely successful. <laughs> not, not very deluxified, but very pretty. And a, a the lot, art a lot was, of I've never played it, but the art was very good, and they're all the sort of um, the, the little mini eggs. Mm -hmm. And the birdhouse yes. for the dice. So there's another bit that is, I guess, unnecessary. I don't know, I haven't played it. But even if, even if even if you take the birdhouse out, um, 
you you would you would have a, ve- a very physically attractive game. Uh, to yes, me, it feels uh, like I mean, quite a standard tableau builder, but yeah, many people. Part love it. of its appeal is also the um, how family friendly and how mm. newbie friendly it is. Mm. So it's you can play it with anyone. People are attracted to it. Even non-gamers are attracted mm-hmm. to it. So yeah, it's really something else. I, I suppose it's almost tangentially related to this. But you're right that the art is a big thing in Wingspan, and it's a card game. And I think, having designed two card games myself, I think the art in card games is hugely important. Mm. Because those are the things that you spend your time looking at as a gamer. You you haven't got miniatures or boards or other things. It's the cards, and the art is what engages you. Definitely, yes. I had a small argument with with a game designer a couple of well at the last games expo that happened uh, mm. he he had a thing he was showing off the the game that eventually became rift force it's a two player uh, lane dueling game right and the the prototype he had was basically i've got these nine icons they yeah standard stock art icons and yeah. that that shows the the nine special card powers that you have available mm-hmm. and and i really loved that Mm. Uh, and he was saying, "Oh well, do you prefer this art or that art?" No, no, I really like this this <laughs> this bare monochrome prototype you've got. That's what I want to buy. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you need to do more more play testing of games, Roger. Never buy games; just do the play test versions. <laughs> uh, one thing uh, that you that you didn't mention from from your uh, original post uh, was mm. preferring uh, paper money over poker chips or other things. <laughs> I, I, I know a lot of people despise paper money. You've been doing some research. <laughs> well, yeah, to put the link in the show notes anyway. So, so um, yeah, I do. I'm quite happy with paper money. If it, if I'm handling money in real life, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think so it, it's it's more immersive. I, I don't <laughs> understand the hate. I really don't. For for I don't know whether you've actually played Leaving Earth with a physical copy. No, uh, the, I, don't, I haven't played it at all. It, it has some, it has some quite, quite, quite attractive um, money, but mm. they're they're thin. It's it's hard to get one off the I, stack. Are you going to suggest poker chips? Well, not necessarily, uh, but it's, you know, it's whatever works for you. I I actually have these um, coins that yeah, sl- slight plug I I got as part of my work for Steve Jackson Games, but they, right. they're quite plain and have a value on one side. And yeah. I, I know so, some people hate poker chips with values, and I I would much rather say, okay, this one this one that's worth ten says ten on it. So <laughs> I'll make myself look even more stupid. I hate poker chips. I don't mm. care if they've got values on them or not. I hate them. Yeah. And I don't know if this is just because I've never played poker, but <laughs> well, I haven't to me, that. they're just these plastic circle discs that they're the opposite of paper money. There's no immersion there at all. They're just counting chips. And I, I don't like them. I've only ever used them in splotter games and 18xx and people bring them along, say, oh, we'll use this instead of the money. It's much better. And I go, oh, really? and you clearly haven't backed any chip theory games no no and a a chip theory is another one i look at it and i think god the amount of plastic but you can play it in the environment the the poker chips the neoprene boards 
It's like, I don't know, maybe they need to go and meet David Attenborough and talk it over. Ha- have you played Splendour? Yes. Because maybe that, that, that I think is the canonical yes. example of, of, a, of a poker chip game. Mm. And they, they, they did a slightly unusual thing of, of using higher, relatively high end poker chips, the heavier ones. Right. So are they, are they still plastic or are they clay or? Uh, they, they are, uh, basically plastic with clay weighting, which is the standard, right. standard poker chip. Okay. And, um, I, and I, I've, I've, I told a liar. I have, I haven't played Splendor. <laughs> I played, um, <laughs> Century Spice Road. The one that everybody said was better than Splendor. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I enjoyed Splendor. Century left me kind of cold, but hey, maybe it's just me. Right. It's just that, that, that is an example of, uh, particularly when it first came out, a lot of people saying, gosh, these are really gorgeous chips. It's a mm. good feel to them. Yeah, but that's, that's a great observation. <laughs> we go back five, six years ago and everybody was blown away by the production copy of, um, Days of Wonder. Yeah. T- ticket to ride, small world. They, whenever anybody, whenever these games came out, it was an event. Everybody, <laughs> these games, like, their production values are amazing. And now, yeah, they're nothing, are they? Yeah. Well, what, one example I, I would like to borrow is um, Firefly because that that has paper money as standard, um, and it, it's designed with I don't know how much reference, but at least some reference to to the prop designers on the show. So it, it does fit right. the aesthetic reasonably well. Uh, what, what I tend to do when I'm playing it is use both that and poker chips because that, that's appropriately tawdry for, you know, we, we are buying and selling large cargoes and we're doing it with poker chips. <laughs> maybe, maybe I, I think we ought to have an open under book open at some point, Roger. And if, when's the first episode that you don't mention Firefly? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about favorite game, but it's definitely up there. Uh, they, 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 they both. Both of those games have money cards as an alternative. Leaving Earth, uh, they actually had them officially included in one in one of the expansions. Right, and it's basically the same artwork as, as your paper money. It's just on cards, which mm-hmm. presumably would, for, for you would lose the realism without really gaining much. Yeah, absolutely. There's different grades of paper money. Definitely, there's the really thin stuff, and there's slightly better quality stuff without being full card money, as it were. I think that. Um... One game which actually needs uh, a money upgrade is um, Nusfjord because the, the cardboard um, tokens are extremely small and it's quite annoying to to handle. Oops. So if I had the option of buying the metal coins, I would for that game only. Mm. Otherwise, I'm not very much into metal coins because they add to the weight of the package and I pay a lot of money on shipping. Yeah. Because Greece has an awful <laughs> postage <laughs> uh, system in that regard. I mean, it's very, very expensive to ship something to Greece. Uh, so, yeah, if I can save on uh, unnecessary comp- components, then I will. I, I like the idea of thematic money, but in practice, what I use is th- those coins I, I just showed you, which are... Yeah, they're, they're not particularly thematic to any game, but mm. they they are convenient numbered metal coins. Um, I I don't want to have metal coins for this and metal coins for that and so on, because that yeah. that, that would just be too much, take up space, cost more money, and so on. Can I can I ask something, Roger? If you if you like using metal coins, they don't have to be completely thematic. Would the cheaper option 
not be to save up and keep 100 penny coins, 102 penny coins and 105 penny coins and use them for different dominations of things? Uh, I have been known to do that. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the, those coins I showed you, um, I, I find them slightly pretty, but mostly um, I got them very cheap, as I say, because of the work I was doing for Steve Jackson Games anyway. It, it's, I mean, I, I, but, yeah, I, I just find this really interesting that you're I, effectively I assuming... using what might be termed a deluxe component, but still valuing form over function, or function over form, rather. Yeah, I, I have a weird aesthetic. I mean, I, I remember looking around, I was walking around Essen a few years ago, and there was somebody selling lots of utterly gorgeous coins, you know, fantasy, science fiction, all, all sorts of themes. And I looked at them and I noticed, yeah, the, these cost slightly more than a euro each. If I want a, a coin that looks a bit weird. <laughs> there, there's a similar thing in wargaming. Uh, the, the cost of a metal base for a miniature never goes above two pence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, in the um, in the realm of uh, deluxe components, I suppose cheap theory games is king. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have uh, the, the first thing they look into is the production. Uh, gameplay go- uh, gameplay goes second, in my opinion, <laughs> because they never have rules available. I'm, uh, I'm glad it's you upsetting this people this time. <laughs> I mean, it's infuriating because they they uh, have kickstarted campaigns without the rulebook <laughs> ready, which is a huge red so flag for me. Say, but... okay, look at the deluxe components, buy that in order to get neoprene mats, uh, poker chips, mm. dice, awful dice <laughs> for me. <laughs> I mean, the, the, I really, really don't like the dice. I think they look really ugly. But anyway, um, and uh, yeah, and hope that uh, the gameplay is going to be good. Yeah. Mm. So this is actually some, for me, this is vulgar consumerism. It 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 um it targets people's um. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to say. I mean, it says okay, you have money here. Yeah. We give you a chance to spend it. And that's all. I think you're right. And I often feel like maybe it's, um, I don't know, I'm old before my time. But I I do wonder when the word vulgar turned into bling and became a good thing. (laughs) I mean, not all bling is vulgar. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad I'm not on social media. I never see what people see what... People say about what I'm doing. Ah, <laughs> uh, you can't have my solid diamond dice. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing that I think we may actually agree on, which is that, particularly if, you, if you're going to conventions and playing on hard tables, some sort of squashy playing surface, whether that's a neoprene mat or a piece of felt or just something that you can, you can pick up a card without scrabbling at the table. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't need the one for that specific game, but I want something... Yeah, and I think you're right. You know, as you say, a piece of felt or something. I mean, card tables have been around for centuries now. And sure. It's proven technology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and if they were big enough for the games we now play, that would be grand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing we haven't really talked about, um, is robustness a consideration? Um, I, I mentioned this because we, we talked last time about the Quacks of Gwedlinburg. 
and mm. you're, you're pulling these things out of a bag and it might, I don't know. I've, I've only ever played with the resin bits. I, I do worry that the cardboard bits, if, you, if you're rooting around in the bag and pulling stuff out each time might maybe wear quite quickly. I don't know. I, I do and have worried about that with, with square tiles pulling from a bag. Uh, coins don't worry me so much or, or round cardboard chips, mm-hmm. but where they've got corners, I do worry about, about putting them out of bags. So, so I know what you're saying there. Uh, you have, but you don't have a corner That's clipper, true. do you? However, if you think about how often people buy new games, yeah, mm. it's actually a question of, okay, how much are you going to use the tokens? You know, mm. most people yeah. pass from one game to the next. Uh, all the time, so yeah, eh. yeah. That, that, that's okay, one, one, one of my quirks. Uh, I, I I like to think about a game being something that somebody could take off a shelf in ten years' time. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But but uh, in practice, uh, I still buy too many games. <laughs> these things get recycled all the time. Actually. Yeah, yeah. They sell, they buy new, they sell it back again. Mm-hmm. I. I would guess that maybe on average each board game gets played less than 10 times well that that was the thing about pandemic legacy when that came out wasn't it you know they were saying mm. you can only play it you know maximum of 24 or whatever it was times even, yeah. even if you win and lose in the right order but yeah quite possibly many other games you won't play that often anyway so what does it matter no it, it's it's hypothetical isn't it it's, it's the guy that lives in kensington in the middle of london and has a land rover with a snorkel on the top <laughs> he may never take it into the middle of the jungle but he could <laughs> like they say about chip theory games you can play them in a bathtub Mm, which I'm sure they all do. Everything is waterproof. <laughs> I think you probably, yeah. for, for the space, you'd probably want a hot tub, but yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's where they have their design meetings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's where everyone plays their games. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so they do all their play testing. <laughs> yeah, worth the money. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know if we're reaching some kind of conclusion other than that generally none of us are fans of this. <laughs> <laughs> Might not have been the most interesting discussion for people, just uh, three people ranting. We created an, an echo chamber. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think each of us has enhancements that we personally like. So, yeah, well, well they, and I, I think that's interesting in itself. Games, but... There's inconsistencies that each of us hold and are aware of. And as far as I'm concerned, I, I, I have improved components for a few games. For a lot more, I've made some sort of 3D printed inlay just to hold, mm. hold the bits ready for play. Yeah. Um, and that's a very, as far as I'm concerned, a very similar design process. I put the thing together, I 3D print it, but, uh, but in each of those cases, I mean, we're kind of going back to how we started with Athena's points at the beginning, that these are games you you already own, you know you love, mm. and you want to spend time with, and you're putting that extra effort into it, which is a different proposition to if you want to buy this game, you buy it with these 3D yeah. components and these plastic components, and sorry, if you don't want that, lump it. Yeah, I, I do like very much like having the option. Yeah. Yes, yes, me too. Uh, and it's also a good thing when a Kickstarter doesn't 
really force you into mm. the deluxe route. Mm. So, yeah, if the, 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 the standard option is still a good option, mm-hmm. so that you don't feel uh, like a peace-poor person who gets <laughs> the dregs of <laughs> what other people are leaving behind or something. Yeah. Well, uh, v-, v Commandos a few months ago had a, had a Kickstarter for its third expansion, and uh, there, there was a bit of um, uncertainty at first. But basically, they separated into here is the gameplay box, and here is the great big box of miniatures. And if you Which want, is a good and if way you want the gameplay it. box, that's fine. Yeah, no, it's a good way to do it. <laughs> but when, when it first came out, people said, "Yeah, it's a, it's a lovely game, but why doesn't it have minis?" Mm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> you can't keep no them pleasing all everybody. Not 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 until until you get the um, brain stimulators. We don't talk about the brain stimulators. <laughs> Is that a good place to wind this up? Yeah, I think so. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well. Athena, just before you go, is there anything else you'd like to mention or plug? Or I mean, n- nothing more comes to mind, although I think that we should repeat this discussion in, let's say, six months' time or uh, a year from now. could be interesting. Christmas Things time, just as everybody's putting time. presents under the tree. <laughs> <laughs> And it's nice to see the evolution of the market, of the games market, I mean. Uh, This is actually one of the motives behind me, how um, uh, going after the the games news, because I really, uh, I'm really interested in seeing what's new, what's uh, different, what's uh, coming up, even though I have very much reduced my um backing rate yeah, uh, yeah. I've, I've only backed one game <laughs> this year so yeah I, I can tell you i backed more games between january and march this year than i did in the last two three years put together mm-hmm. five five well, whole I mean, games they, yeah yeah you you found things that interested you apparently yeah. and yeah. also you had money to spend <laughs> That too, and I was that at home, and yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> Lockdown really <Yeah. laughs> affected us in that respect. So I'm a hypocrite. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, but but you're storing up games for for when you can play them with other people as well. <laughs> yeah, and and we can claim back the tax on them, can't we, Roger? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure this counts as presumption of profit motive or something. <laughs> <laughs> So that was more games than time. Uh, well, be back next month and see, see what we thought about some of the games we talked about this time. But before then, uh, give us a shout on the website if there's anything uh, you'd like to ask or things you'd like us to cover. Thanks very much for listening, guys. Bye.